slaughtered and everything is ready. Like, that picture is referring to the benefits of what Jesus did on the cross. And, um, and the king is, like, in the first call, he doesn't tell, like, what's at the wedding. But the second time, he's like, you have to come. Like, I've prepared the feast. Everything is ready. It's going to be amazing. And, and, like, if you want to compare that, like, the wedding feast is all the great things of the gospel. Um, it's it's Jesus' death and resurrection, right? Um, salvation that can, that can be gained by faith instead of having to work for it. Um, and, and his grace and being able to, to pray and receive God's mercy and not having to go through this temple system of sacrifices, but instead we can just go right to the mercy seat and, and be able to kneel right before, before the Lord without having a priest having to do that for us. Like the temple was temple curtain was torn in two into the Holy of Holies. Like, we have access into the Holy of Holies. Like, these are the benefits of the gospel. Like, these are the things of the wedding feast and, and his eternal, um, eternal life and, and all the joy and, and having his, his rest. Like, these are all the things that are set on the table. Like, these are all the things that God has prepared um, for those who are in, like, who come to the wedding feast. And he's saying to humanity, like, come, like, this is where you belong. Like, this is where you will be satisfied. Come to my wedding feast and, and honor the Son, honor Jesus. And, and the people don't come. <laughs> and it, it kind of doesn't make sense. Like, it's kind of like, it's supposed to be like, there's no logical reason why they wouldn't come. And, and I love the verse where it says, all is ready. In verse 4, like, the, the, the king is like, everything has been prepared. And, and you see, that's, for me, like, that is such a huge part of what Christianity is. Like, that's the difference between other religions and, and Christianity. That's the difference between um, the other gods and the Christian God. In other, in other religions, you set the table for the other gods. It's all about your own strength, your own works. It's about appeasing them. It's about trying to fix yourself, trying to postpone um, judgment. It's about practicing these, these things to try to make you a better person. But the, but the Christian God, he sets the table for us. And, and he says, everything is prepared. Like, you just come as you are. And that picture, like, is, in, is like throughout Scripture, the picture of the feast I remember in a time of my life where I was just so, like, down in my depths. Like, I was at, I hit rock bottom. And in that time, God really spoke to me through Psalm 23. And a part of that is, you've, you've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Like, this picture of eating with God is throughout Scripture. And in that time of my life, um, like, it was, it was, uh, it was one of the hardest things ever, but my, what got me through it was the fact that I could, I could go to the table, like metaphorically, I could sit with God and I would dine with Him. And, um, and that's, that's the invitation here. And, and there's a certain intimacy about sharing a meal with someone, and that's the picture that Jesus is trying to paint um, in this parable. So verse 5, But no one paid attention and went off to one, one to his farm, another to his business. 
Like, everyone, like, has, has experienced this in some way or another. Like, one, one time or another, you think, you know what, I don't have time for, for this right now. I don't have time for the gospel. Like, I don't... Like, before you became a Christian, there is a time where you preferred your own self-gain instead of honoring Jesus. And, and like, for me, like, that time, like, to be honest, like, today is December, or September 1st, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, it's September 1st. Um, two years ago today, I got engaged for the first time. And, and it was a time, like, that gap from being engaged for the first time and, like, going through, like, a broken engagement and then me and Becca, like, rebuilding our relationship and healing and all that stuff, like, that was the hardest time in my life. And it was a time where God taught me that I can't be after my selfish gain constantly. Like, I can't be always um, living for myself and thinking what I can gain for myself. And that is a horrible way to go into marriage. <laughs> thinking, like, okay, I'm doing this for what I can get out of it for myself. But, like, marriage is all about sacrifice. And, um, and so this... This picture, like, everyone's like, no, I don't want to go to the wedding. Like, I'd rather go to my own farm, and I, I have to, like, tend to this part of my business. Um, and, and they don't come. And so, like, many dismiss the gospel these days as well. Like, many dismiss it as tradition and whatever, but, but it's not up to us. Like, it wasn't up to the messengers how people responded. And... And it was, it was their responsibility to simply share the gospel and, and be faithful with the message that the king sent them. And for me, with evangelism, like, the, the thing that, like, stops me in my tracks is, what if I get rejected? Like, especially, like, it's one thing to go up to a random person on the street. Like, for me, that's almost easier um, to just, ran, like, randomly walk up to someone and, and, like, right now I'm evangelizing. Like, whether it be, like, on Portland like on the Portland trip or and on the L.A. trip, like we're down on Skid Row. We are here for this purpose. Like we're going to go pray for people. We're going to go serve people. Like that's almost easier for me than um, my own family members who aren't Christians because it's just so much more vulnerable. And, and you've, you've known them for years. You've built a relationship with them. Or even like coworkers. Like I know like for myself when I'm at work and I feel that nudge like to share the, the amazing things of, of the feast, of the wedding feast, the benefits of the gospel, and the hope that, that Jesus has given us. It's like you don't want to go for the jugular right away and get them to pray the prayer or whatever. Um, you kind of like, it's kind of a slow-going process where, where you build relationship with them and you slowly like introduce and listen to the Holy Spirit and his little guidance and his little, his nudges and his whispers and, and you build relationship with someone and, and, you, and you preach the gospel to them through your life and through your day-to-day. Like, for me, that's almost harder um, because it's, it's someone consistent. It's someone you work with. But I realize that it's not up to me whether they're rejected or not. It's up to me that I, I follow God in simple obedience in the day-to-day um, of when I hear the nudge of His Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, in verse 6, um, while the rest, um, okay, yeah, so it's a continuation of verse 5. Um, they paid no attention to him and went off to, one to his farm, one to his business. Verse 6, while the rest uh, seized his servants and treated them shamefully, 
and killed them. The king was very angry, and he sent his troops to destroy the murderers and burn their cities. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as much as you can find. And the servants went into the roads and gathered all whom they found, bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So this, is, this parable is also about grace. Like it's, it's about inviting people who are least likely to be invited, who weren't invited the first time around. And that can be seen also as the rejection of the Jews um, to, um, to, the, uh, to the gospel and to, and to the laws of Moses um, during, during their time before Jesus. And so after Jesus' death um, was the first time that the, that the gospel was, it was like realized, like, whoa, this is not just salvation for the Jews. This is salvation for the Gentiles. And so that's what, it, what is, it is referring to when it says, go out and tell everybody. Like, go out into the main roads, into the highways, and tell everyone that the feast is ready and the feast has been prepared. And, um, like, the religious authorities of Jesus' day, like, that he's basically saying this parable to, um, they rejected Jesus and, and they, they have, like, actually a history um, of, like, killing God's prophets. And, um, and so then Jesus, like, says, like, go out into all the earth. And then Paul, like, goes out and he tells, like, in, in Acts, he tells the Greeks, the Corinthians, the Romans. And, and the thing is, these people didn't have the laws of Moses. Like, when you read the book of, of like, Galatians or Corinthians, like, it's written to a group of people who are in the context of something totally different than, than what we read in the Old Testament. And, and I just find this so amazing. Um, and I love the part where it says, like, they went out into the main roads and invited the bad and the good. And, and that's the grace of God, that we get, we're invited to the feast even when we don't deserve it. And, and for me, like, as, as I share the gospel, it's almost easier to share it with, with someone of, like, um, higher esteem, like you think like, oh, this person, like I, I would love them if they became a Christian. They'd be so like influential in their world. But like what about like the homeless guy on the side of the road? I remember on Skid Row, we park our buses at the same spot every year on that Skid Row. And I see the same um, guy, his name's Ray. And I wasn't on LA this year, but like for the past five years that I've been on the LA trip, I've met this dude named Ray, and he's been on the same spot for, I don't know, who, like, how long. But I love him so much. Um, he, he's got this straw hat, and it's, like, really pointy. And he's always shirtless, and he's got, like, a huge beer belly. And he's got a really long beard and just, like, really bright blue eyes. And um, he's, uh, he's, like, he would be really, like, pale white if he didn't get sun, but he's just, like, super tanned. Um, and... Uh, he lives in cardboard, and, um, and sometimes he wears, like, tinfoil hats because he says, like, it's going to protect him from the aliens and stuff, which I was, I'm just like, okay, this guy's nuts. But, um, but the thing is, like, he, he, like, believes in Jesus, and every time that we pray for him, he's, like, touched by the Holy Spirit, and he cries. And I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, like, this guy is, like, he doesn't really have a, 
very good grasp on humanity. Every year we go there, like he's talking about how he's about to get into like a better living situation or be into like get into an apartment. And I don't know, he's probably like suffers with mental illness or addiction or who knows what. But I think that when we get to heaven, like when we're sitting like like in, in the New Jerusalem and we look around, I think we might be surprised of who ends up there. And um, and surprised of the faces we see. And and that's part of this parable. It's like the least likely, the ones who don't deserve it, um, are all invited, including us. Like, um, we don't deserve it at all, uh, but that's, that's God's grace. And, um, and so, um, in verse 11, it says, but when, the king came, it, when the, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw a man who had no wedding garments. And he said to him, friend, how, do you, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind him by the hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called but few are chosen. You see, the king, or in wedding feasts in that time, everyone was provided with a wedding garment. And it was a gift to the, to the people attending the feast. And it was usually like a white garment. And um, you wore it to honor um, the host and to honor the bride and the groom. And, and not to wear it was a huge dishonor. And like, I tried to think of a situation um, to like illustrate this where I was underdressed. But I could only think of times where I was overdressed and super embarrassed. <laughs> so one of them was I was driving for A1. And my, like, the text said, like, this is more like a concierge thing. So you have to, like, dress up really nice. These are high-end clients. And you're going to pick them up at the airport and take them to the Grand. And so um, I, like, literally, I wore a suit. Like, I was like, I'm not going to screw this up. And, like, I rolled up and I put on, like, classical music softly in the background. Like, I'm not <laughs> kidding. I literally, I'm like, this is what people want. And how would I know, like... I'm a bus driver, <laughs> you know? And so, and so people, like, get in my van, and they're like, well, at first they're all outside, and they're, like, in, in like, the smoking zone. I'm like, okay, this is, like, I'm not sure, like, what kind of clients these are. But, and so they get in, and they're super noisy and rowdy, and they're, like, they sit down, and they're, they're not dressed formal at all, and I'm, like, in a full suit. And I'm, like, I remember standing there, like, with, like, beside my bus, like, feeling like a total dweeb, and... And then they, like, get in, and they listen, they're listening to the classical music, and they're like, put on some ACDC. And I'm, like, super embarrassed. But, but like, the whole point of being, like, dressed formal is, is to show someone that you honor and respect them, right? Like, if they were actually high-end guests, like, like this weekend, um, I, Subaru was doing a huge function in town, and I actually drove the CEO of Subaru. I... I don't think it's that big of a deal until everyone else told me it was. Um, but he was like this like Japanese guy, and they told me not to say a word to him unless he talked to me. But I, I think they might have just said that to me out of all the drivers. But, um, <laughs> but like I made sure like that I wore a collared shirt and like I went and opened the door and stuff. And um, like I definitely screwed it up. Like when I went around to open the door, it was already locked, and so I had to go back around and unlock it and then go. And so, 
but but the whole point is like you you wear you wear like you dress formally um, to honor your guests like like the concierge company that that hired a one wanted the CEO to know that he was honored and um, and so for this person not to wear their wedding garments and to just show up in their normal everyday clothes was a huge um, insult to the to the to the son and to the king in this parable. And what the wedding garment represents is righteousness. And, and there are some people that, that show up to the wedding feast and they're only in it for the free meal. Um, they're, they're in it for selfish gain. And sometimes, like, I, I think of Christians, um, or even just myself, let's use myself as an example. Um, if, I'm, if I'm a Christian just because I want kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card from Monopoly. <laughs> like, if I, just, if I just don't want, like, people telling me about hell and stuff, and I'm like, oh, I don't want that, I'll, I'll pray the prayer kind of thing. Or, like, I heard one preacher call it fire insurance. Like, your Christianity isn't fire insurance, if you get what I mean. Um, but, but, like, people need to be authentic in, in their invitation to the wedding feast. And if someone's there just for their own benefit, like that, that isn't going to cut it. Like showing up without actually having a life that backs it up and not living a repentant life or, or not being clothed in righteousness, like that's up to God to judge. And, um, and, and that's what he will do. And, um, but as a messenger, which is us, like, it is our job to still invite that person. Like, he was still, a messenger still went up to that person and invited him and told him about the wedding feast, told him about the great meal, and that everything has been prepared, the table has been set for him. And, and that messenger wasn't in the wrong for inviting that person. And um, I love the story about, um, I think it's pronounced, like, Menno Simons. And uh, he's, like, Mennonite brethren. Like, he's where we get the name of our denomination from. And he was a guy that he was into, um, he was a Catholic priest, but he really, his life didn't reflect it at all. Like he was in the bars drinking and gambling, um, but at the same time, he was like this, like, Catholic priest. And then one day he, he was taking communion and he wondered, well, does the, like, wine actually turn into the blood of Jesus literally when, when we eat it? And does the bread literally turn into, like, Jesus' flesh when, he eat it, when we eat it? And so he opened up the Bible um, and for the first time in his life started to study it. And he found that so many things in the Bible didn't reflect his life and didn't reflect um, the beliefs of the Catholic Church that he was a part of. And, um, and so... Time went on, and about three years later, he, he started to have other issues as, as uh, things like church and state, and are people a part of the church just because they're a part of the state? And is baptism supposed to be like when you're a baby, or is it supposed to be a choice when you decide to fully follow Jesus? And, and then he denounced his, his like, relationship to the Catholic Church and started going around and preaching about about faith by choice and about becoming a Christian um, because you actually want to love God and serve Him and, and obey Him. And, and that, like, wearing the robes of, of righteousness. And, um, and he was like a hunted man. Like, people were after him 
everyone wanted him dead, but he, he was a messenger. Like, he kept going from, from town to town preaching the gospel, and they couldn't catch him. And, um, and like, I just think that's such a cool thing that's even, like, related to our name, like, Mennonite Brethren. Like, this guy, like, he was a... He was an evangelist, and he, he went out and he preached the message of the feast. And, um, and so, yeah, just as I wrap this up before um, I pray, like, I get that um, being, being an evangelist or evangelism, like, that's a big word, and it can be, like, intimidating, but we all have someone in our lives that needs to hear about Jesus. And it says, like, for the, in the end times church, um, that, like in Revelation, it talks about a church that overcomes by the blood of the Lamb and the power of their testimony. And we all have a testimony. Like, we all have a story to share of the feast because we all have, have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And one, one uh, in an interview of like this like well, well-renowned evangelist, um, someone asked him, um, what is your advice for evangelism, like if you had to say one thing um, to inspire people to, to tell others about Jesus, and he said four words, the blood of Jesus. And if we keep that in mind, like we will overcome by, our te- by the power of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. And, um, and like we got to tell people about Jesus. Like it says, all creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God. And in, in, uh, in Isaiah, it's like, Isaiah, like God's saying, like, who will go? Who will go and, and be my mouthpiece? And Isaiah says, like, I will go, send me. And, um, and like, that, that question still echoes throughout the ages. Like, God is still saying, who will go? Like, will you open your mouth um, when you feel that shove in your heart and just be obedient? Um, it, with the people around you. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, crazy and, 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 and extravagant. Like, it's a day-to-day life thing. And, like, my... I rem- every time I drive and I see, like, Kelowna, like, I see, like, especially at night when I just see, like, all the city lights, I just think, like, oh, man, my heart breaks for this city. Like, I saw a meme the other day <laughs> of, like... Classic Kelowna, like, they called us some name. And it was, like, a picture of, like, this jacked guy in, like, really small shorts. And, like, just, like, the classic Kelowna, whatever. And we are known as this, like, party town kind of thing. But, like, excuse me. Like, what is your vision for Kelowna? Like, does, like, does your heart break for what breaks God's heart? Like, I just challenge you, if if your vision for Kelowna can be accomplished within your lifetime, your vision is too small. Because God's in the business of doing the impossible. And if, if we could do it in our own lifetime, that would be, mean that we can do it in our own strength. And I know that there's been so many prophecies and words about this city that, that it is going to be like, <laughs> there's going to be renewal, there's going to be revival. Like, me and Beck, every time we drive downtown, we pray that Liquid Zoo would be shut down. And, um, and like, we are, we are the messengers. Like, 
God has put it into the hands of the church to go tell people about the wedding feast. Um, and it says, like Jesus says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge. Uh, I will. I also will acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. And so, yeah, I just. I'm just going to pray for us right now. God, I thank you, Lord, for for the gift of of salvation. Lord, I thank you that it's not something we earn, but we get to sit at the feast. Lord, we're we're invited whether we're in in a bad place or in a good place. We're invited to the feast. And we put on uh, the wedding clothes and we're declared righteous because of what your son did on the cross. Lord, we just want to please you. We just want to love you. And Lord, even in my own life right now, and anyone who, who has struggled with evangelism before, I know I have. God, I pray that right now you would break any chains of fear, Lord, towards that. Lord, that we would truly believe that this is a message worth sharing. We would truly believe that like there is no um, there's no thing, there's no price too high to pay, Lord, that we would count it all as lost. Lord, and we're willing to look like fools, Lord. Because you used the foolish things to shame the wise. And you work strong in the weak man. God, I know that we have one one life to do this. Like we're not going to be evangelizing in eternity. And God, I pray that we would know um, the honor and the seriousness and the responsibility that it is to share about the wedding feast. And God, I just pray that you would breathe courage into everyone here right now. Lord, that even myself, God, Lord, that you would breathe courage into us to be able to to walk out simple obedience. Because that changes life. That changes history. That's something that's eternal is to be obedient to you. Even in the day-to-day and the mundane, Lord, in the things that we don't think matter too much, God, I pray that we would be obedient to you. We love you, Lord. So yeah, there's communion at the front. You can come take it at your own pace. Um, There's also going to be a prayer team at the front with with uh, lanyards and we're just they're just here to listen and pray with you and um, yeah let's worship together